0: Hey parents, welcome to what we think is going to be a really good Wonder of Parenting podcast today as we talk about helping our boys thrive in a hashtag MeToo world. Uh, My name is Tim Wright. I'm here along with Dr. Michael Gurian. Michael, good to have you with us as always.
1: Oh, you too, Tim. Thanks.
0: Uh, Before we dive into our topic for today, I want to mention that we're running a contest. It's a way to promote our uh, new resource for you. It's our Facebook Page. It's a, a group page. And if you go to Facebook and you just type in Wonder of Parenting uh, and join the group, you'll have a chance there to interact with a lot of different parents from around the world, talk about the shows, uh, talk about your parenting issues. And uh, as a way to sort of entice you to go there and join... We have a contest that we're running for the next few weeks. We'll run it through February 6th. You have a chance to win one of Michael's books, either Saving Our Sons or The Minds of Girls. We're going to be talking about Saving Our Sons a little bit today. Uh, on Amazon, that's $17 or something uh, worth of book, and Michael will even sign it. And so here's what you can do to win that book. Go to uh, to iTunes and write a review of the show. Take a screenshot and then head back over to Facebook And in the search, put in Wonder of Parenting. Join the uh, parenting group there and post your screenshot of your review. And uh, we'll collect all the names and we'll choose a lucky winner. And we'll let you know who that is uh, on that Facebook page. So again, you just take a a screenshot of a review you leave on iTunes. Then head over to Facebook. It's Wonder of Parenting. It's a group page so that uh, we can be interactive with each other. Post that picture and then we will enter you in the drawing. So, Michael, we're going to begin a multi-episode look at things having to do with the Me Too world, which is a very, very important movement for both of our boys and our for both our boys and girls. And I want to start with boys and to read a couple quotes from your book, Saving Our Sons, and and these will get us started. This is one of both for both of us. This is a big passion. And um, the first one I want to read is really the, is the preface to the book. And here's what you say. In 30 years of working with children, I have never been more worried than I am right now for our sons. Some boys are doing very well, but millions are disappearing into violence, imprisonment, social withdrawal, listlessness, virtual worlds, and real-life self-destruction. If we don't end this national pattern, our boys and young men will become increasingly destructive, both to others and themselves, because nearly every social problem we face in our civilization today—unemployment, income inequality, or income equality, incarceration rates, religious extremism, domestic abuse, mental illness, health care inequities, and painful violence against women—intersects in some way with the state of boyhood in America. Now, those are strong words— And I want to then read something that you put in your book that I think a lot of people are going to find fascinating. Uh, This is from the World Health Organization, a study that they published in 2015, and they were looking at men's and boys' health worldwide. Uh, They uh, looked at uh, studies from Europe, the U.S., Asia, uh, and uh, here was their findings, In most of the world, not just some, but in most of the world, girls and women are doing better than boys and men in both physical and mental health indicators. Even when statistics regarding female depression, eating disorders, and violence against females, such as rape and genital mutilation, are included, males are doing worse. Perhaps most surprising to people is the study's wide reach. The health and wellness gender gap favoring females exists in all 72 industrialized countries, including countries like China or or Oman, that we have tended to believe are still patriarchal and thus should be harder on females than males. The WHO study asks us to see the world's invisible boys. In most parts of the world, Health un- uh, outcomes among boys and men continue to be substantially worse than among girls and women. Yet, this gender based disparity in health has received little national, regional, or global acknowledgement or attention from health policymakers or health care providers. Um, that's strong stuff in a culture like the United States of America that still says and there's some truth to it but still says that our girls are way behind our boys and that's just not true but trying to get traction for our boys has been a difficult challenge so michael talk a little bit about how you became an advocate for boys
1: well yeah it's uh, it was it was a long journey and i mean i became i think i became an advocate probably subconsciously as a boy because i had a lot of the issues as a boy that that parents write us about now, you know, I was hyperactive, ADHD. I came from a, um, a system, a family system, which there were mental health issues. So very complex childhood there. Uh, a doctor I went to, you know, molested me. And I've written about that and, uh, had, had to heal that, you know? And so I think that I probably as a boy, um, became an advocate. Then as an adult, the advocacy, uh, Moved in college and grad school, it moved to both male and female issues. I, I became you know, I became a feminist, of course, and I was really looking at both females and males. Um, and I uh, chose to look at all of us through that neuroscience lens. I really felt that that is the has the most value um, uh, because it can understand everyone. And then as I'm working, you know, becoming an adult, I'm having kids, I'm writing books, I'm I'm a therapist, you know, I'm working with clients then I'm seeing so many boys, parents of boys bringing their boys in. And, uh, and I'm, you know, seeing all over as I travel and speak and all over more and more boys, you know, who are failing in the ways that I described there. And, and I think about 10 years ago, I just became, um, sort of the work that I was doing in the wonder of boys, a fine young man, those, those earlier books, you know, and then I moved into the minds of boys, which is about schools. And I think that was about 10 years ago when it, got cemented in my mind that what you've just described, which is we live in a culture that's still using sort of 50-year-old language about females and males, in which um, females are always victims, males are always villains, uh, or they have privilege. And of course, or and if you're white male, then you have white male privilege, um, and you're victimizing females. And and it's a paradigm, which I call in Saving Our Sons, the dominant gender paradigm. And that paradigm blinds us to what is really going on. And the WHO study, of course, is saying, hey, this, you know, not just going on in the U.S. They're, they're concerned with the whole world. They're looking at the whole world. Um, but it's so hard for people, you know, they'll even read that study and say, well, no, it can't be. Uh, and, and people will think, but wait a minute. Look at, look at a culture like Saudi Arabia, where, where women have to cover themselves and where the, it's so clearly old world patriarchal. And we have to say, yeah, and we would advocate in that culture for change. But the WHO, right, is looking in the aggregate at the whole world. And um, and then those of us who are mostly here in the U.S., you know, our research, um, all those studies in the beginning of Saving Our Sons, you know, that's looking at all this data for the last 30 years in the U.S. And it's basically impossible anymore if one is actually looking at science and data to say females are victims, males are villains. Males all have privilege. Females have no privilege. You know, that old paradigm just doesn't work, but people still use it. And so uh, here we are with boys getting, you know, most of the D's and F's at school and they are most of the dropouts and most of the learning disabled and, um, you know, all that severe mental illness, the disease of violence is plaguing them, you know, all those things. um, uh, We just can't see it. We're kind of blinded to it.
2: Get fifteen percent off your purchase of a skylight frame when you go to skylightframe dot com slash easy. That's s k y l i g h t f r a m e dot com slash easy. Get fifteen percent off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe dot com slash easy.
0: Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about what's happening with our boys right now. You mentioned a few things. Uh, they get more D's and F's by far than girls. Um, really have fallen behind girls dramatically in school in a lot of ways since 1982. Um, less boys are going to college than girls are today. Um, we know that um, most of the uh, ADHD type medications are prescribed to boys. In fact, most of that's prescribed to boys here in the United States, isn't it?
1: Right. Yeah. Most of it's here in the U.S.
0: And and so what that says to me is it's not a boy problem. It's a It's a systems problem right and and that's kind of what you've been trying to advocate uh over these years uh people people tend to to personalize this whole thing and to politicize it uh because they're afraid that if we start talking about boys that we're going to devalue girls we're going to go back to the fifties or the forties. Um, but you're, you're trying to advocate for something different than that. This, these are systems problems and we've been addressing a lot of the systems problems for our girls, but not so much for our boys as of late.
1: Yeah. And yeah. And that's why the helping boys thrive initiative. That's why uh, I developed it. And then it, you know, Green Institute developed it. And then, and then you and I have partnered on it, um, doing, you know, helping, helping boys thrive summits around the country. Because we want to call attention to this and give people tools. And what we're ultimately doing is helping people to rethink the systems that the kids are coming up in. So so one system at a time, a family system, a school system, a college, as you've referenced, a college system, a healthcare system. You know, in all of these systems, when we break them down data-wise and we really, really study them uh we see boys failing out of them. And, um, uh, and obviously some girls fail out of them too. There are a lot of girls who are anxious, who are depressed. Girls face a lot of issues. So it is not a zero-sum. Um, but, but in the systems, uh, like if we look at family systems, for instance, what we tend to find is there are a lot of resources to help family systems with girls. Um, there are, there's a book a month comes out on with, you know, probably more than that, helping families to raise their girls. And, um, which is really good. I have two girls, you have a daughter, you have granddaughters, really good. Uh, but then you, you know, you go and you, you do a search and you say, well, how much is helping families with raising boys? You know, uh, not as much. And then you go to school systems and the school systems, uh, we've, t- we've talked about them before, great people, awesome people. But because of this de- dominant gender paradigm, the, um, colleges are basically not allowed to teach what you and I are talking about here. They're not allowed to teach it. So, um, and in fact, we've had a few colleges just in the last couple months where, uh, in one case, it was a woman, in another case, a couple of male professors who were bringing this up and who were brought up for discipline. Uh, you know, cause these colleges are so, so into the dominant gender paradigm um, uh, it was hate speech because they were putting women down, which of course they weren't doing. They were just saying, "Look, folks, we're, we've got only forty percent males in our college. Clearly, there's something going on." Um, so, so in all these systems, what we find is males are hemorrhaging, uh, and and there aren't resources to help them. And for a male right now on the street, you know, um, people will find this data in Saving Our Sons. They have to to get help to get the kind of financial help from the government. That um, that women can get, they will have to move into the criminal justice system, um, uh, or or in, into uh, you know substance abuse system, something that's doing treatment for substance abuse, uh, and the main way they get it is through the criminal justice system. Well, that that that's not right, but um, but women can access it better because. They often have more control over kids so they can access it through kids. And there are just so many programs available to help women and to help women and children. And um, But most of the homeless are male. And sometimes I'll go and I'll say that, like at a university when I'm doing a lecture and people go, no, that's wrong, you know, because the images we see um, that are chosen by the media, let's say, are images for sympathy. And they're quite often images of women and of children who are homeless, which are, which are powerful images. But, but statistically, most of the homeless are male. And, and so on and on this goes. So I think it's the dominant gender paradigm and our Helping Boys Thrive efforts are to try to say, you can have a really good discussion about boys without like, being political or anti-political. or We don't have to get involved in all that. We can just look at what's going on with boys and help them.
0: So Michael is talking uh, specifically about a summit that he created called Helping Boys Thrive, and you can learn more about it at helpingboysthrive.org. And then he and I have also done one for the Christian community, Helping Christian Boys Thrive, uh, and you can learn more about that at helpingchristianboysthrive.org. And um, the these are community-wide events. And so if you happen to be a part of a faith community or a school community or just a big parenting group and you're interested in bringing in something like this, we would sure encourage you to, to read more about it and then connect with us, helpingboysthrive.org, helpingchristianboysthrive.org. But Michael, what gave birth to that summit idea?
1: Well, Yeah, what gave birth to it is back um, seven, eight years ago, um, we were looking, our Green Institute team was looking at that we wanted to create an event, like, the you know, we wanted to create an event where we could Um, bring together, help bring together community activists, community agencies, uh, like you mentioned, faith communities, uh, governmental organizations. uh, You know, there are, there are assets and silos in communities who uh, we would, we would discover when we would go to a community, you know, we would, we would be invited by say one asset or one silo. I would be invited to speak, let's say, and and then someone from another silo would, would write, seeing that I was going to be there, I would write and say, wow, I didn't know they were doing stuff with boys, you know, etc. And, and so we wanted to help. Uh, we wanted not only to put in a, a dramatic, really powerful, moving event for, for people, uh, we wanted to help bring these agencies together. So we started coming up with, um, we thought, well, maybe we should just do an event for Boys and Rites of Passage. And that was actually an idea put forward by Dakota Hoyt, who was our executive director um, uh, about three, four years ago. She's retired now. But back back about seven, eight years ago, she brought up that idea. Should we just do it for rites of passage? And uh, but we realized, well, you know, it needed to be broader. uh, And of course, you and I were doing rites of passage together. So it it um, it really worked to be broader than just for one age group, like 12, 13 year olds. Um, It worked to be broader and, and we broadened it. And then I came up with the title Helping Boys Thrive. And then, you know, we just moved from there. And then as you and I partnered, um, you know, of course, you and I are are now doing a lot of them together, even the Helping Boys Thrive ones. So, so we've sort of been both secular and helping with, with faith communities. Faith communities can be a really neat place to start a Helping Boys Thrive for people who are listening, because They have a hall already. They have a place, right? They have a a building. And really the, the thing that's needed to put on a helping boys thrive event is that place that donates that space. And then, um, and then just a team, a small team of people who are going to make it happen. I mean, that's the bottom line for it. And then it moves toward funding and all these other things. Um, uh, so that's why I think faith communities work, but also, as you know, t- as you know, Tim, there've been at governmental agencies have hosted them, yep. uh, schools have hosted them, you know, because uh, they can provide that space.
0: Yeah, and, and I've not only been able to speak at some with Michael, but here in Phoenix, I'm the one who sort of makes it happen here when we do that every year. So I've been on both sides of that. Now I I understand that part of the impetus for this was some frustration that you had with the White House Council on Boys and Men. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And in, in that process, um, let's see, that is probably about seven years ago now. Yeah. So about seven years ago, um, I got a call from a friend of mine, Warren Farrell, who is the author of Boy, uh, Boy The Boy, Boy Crisis, his most recent book. Uh, previously, um, he he wrote a number of books on men. And um, uh, he and I have been friends for about 30 years. And he, he had gotten a call from and talked to someone at the White House, this is in the Obama White House, a staffer, and the staffer had said to him, "You know, can you provide us with information about what's going on with boys?" President Obama would like to know. And and a few days after uh, President Obama got into office, uh, I believe it was three days after, he signed um, the uh, the White House Council for Girls and Women. So he signed that, and they funded that. And I believe it was a hundred million. Don't quote me on that, but they funded it with maybe it was one million. They funded it with a lot of money. Uh, and obviously, great. I mean, that's a great thing to have a White House Council on Girls and Women. Uh, so, so Warren called me, and and because he knew I knew a lot of the boys' people, and and we started helping to construct this thing, and then we ended up writing a um, uh, a meta study. Basically, uh, he and I and Marty Nepko and the uh, Men's Health editor uh, Peter Moore. We were the four primary authors of this. Uh, and people can see it, by the way. It's at uh, let's see. whitehouseboysmen.org, dot um, org. People can see our meta study, and and at at that time we keep revising it. At that time, it was the most detailed meta study on what was happening uh, with boys in America, um, and I, I would say it's one of the three most detailed right now because I do reference a couple others in Saving Our Sons that have come out. Uh, so. We put that out. We provided that to the to the White House. And the interesting thing was that wherever we like like Boy Scouts, they have they have access. That's the first call I made when Warren called me Is I called my contacts at the Boy Scouts. So they joined the council and they had direct access to the president. And so we did all of this and put it in the hands of Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts went in to go to a meeting in which it was on the agenda to have a White House Council on Boys and Men, and it got removed five minutes before from the agenda. So they did all their other business, but this got removed, and this is how it was. We could not get the White House to really pay attention to this, Now, in their in their defense, um, President Obama did do the My Brother's Keeper initiative, and some of the impetus to that um, we were told was all this lobbying we were doing uh, for boys, and so he did My Brother's Keeper, which folks may know is to help boys of color, which was awesome. Um, but he, but they wouldn't fund that, and this is how interesting it gets politically with boys and men. They they wouldn't fund it because that some of, you know, people inside are really arch-radical feminists. And they were like, you can't fund anything on boys and men. You can't use government money for that. Um, even though you could use it for girls and women, you can't use it for boys and men. That's the politics. So he had to go out to uh, corporations and get funding privately, and uh, which is great that the corporations came through to help boys of color. So, I, I mean, it was like you can see the politics of this. And back in the Clinton White House and um, and then after that in the Bush White House, People like he and I and Michael Thompson and Bill Pollack, you know, we had been involved in this with each of these White Houses, trying to get them to pay attention to boys and men. And they would give sort of give lips service to it and say, oh, well, we'll do this thing. And then some little lecture would happen and then it would die. Um, uh, and, and I and I think that that's part of why we need these Helping Boys Thrive events, because I, um, I learned through all of this through... And as you know, I brief Congress members, right? I've, mm-hmm. I've been on panels with the UN. I mean, I've, I've been there in all these organizations that are, that are trying to help. But the politics in these organizations are so severe with the dominant gender paradigm that I've, I really kind of am, have moved. And starting about 10 years ago, did a lot of moving toward the grassroots. And because the grassroots is not involved in all of that stuff. Uh, you know, a little comes up here and there, but the right. grassroots is living out what's going on with boys. People are, are scared of boys who come vi- become violent and and um, uh, they're scared of boys who become listless. And in that, in that case, the fear is not, I feel for myself. The fear is I feel for them and for our society. What are we gonna do? With these boys, they don't have purpose. They don't have motivation. They're, um, uh, you know, they're dropping out of school. They're living in basements. They're not holding down jobs. There aren't jobs for them in some cases. Those jobs have gone overseas. Some of those are coming back now, thankfully, but um, uh, you know, at the grassroots, we're all pretty scared of of a culture that where millions and millions of boys fail. So the Helping Boys Thrive is a way to work in the grassroots and bring people together and have these amazing events. Uh, As you know, you and I have done some of them together. People just walk away, just their minds are blown.
0: And, um, and of course, we're honored to be involved. So now let me tie this in a little bit, uh, just for a few minutes, to what's happening with boys now in this new world that's being shaped in many ways by the Me Too movement, which we both agree is a great movement. We both have daughters. we I've got granddaughters. And uh, we are so thankful for some of these brave women over the last year or so who have stood up and said, enough's enough. And and we joined them in that, uh, but all of the things that Michael has said so far helps lay a little bit of a foundation of some of the challenges boys face now in this new world, uh, and I talk a little bit about that in in my new ebook, uh, raising sons in a hashtag Me Too world, available on Amazon. And Michael, one of the things that I talk about there is that uh, one of the overreactions from a small group of people, but it's it's the media always picks this up, is that. Uh, in light of the Me Too movement, all males have been now labeled as toxic and as predators. And that may, uh, masculinity in and of itself is bad. And um, part of my contention, and I know yours too, is if we keep telling our boys that, they're just going to live down to that.
1: Yeah, this, um, as you know, in Saving Our Sons, I, I have a whole chapter that kind of takes that apart and looks at uh, how this dominant gender paradigm works and how it gets our culture to 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 find an an issue um an issue that regards the safety of females and and um this happened 5 6 years ago with the campus rape culture the me too movement is sort of is sort of 2.0 of the campus rape culture movement um uh and and it's happened throughout the last 30 to 40 years where there's something that that is is isolated or seen or delineated that that some women are going through, which, you know, everyone would agree is bad and we have to fix that. Um, so it happens. The thing happens. And the first few weeks of it, you know, or, or months of it, you know, uh, everyone, I think including you and me are, are like, wow, you know, this is great. We have daughters. This is great. Um, how good that this is happening. And then <laughs> Something happens, and about two, three, four months in, whatever it is, we begin to see we begin to see it get taken over Mm -hmm. by this misandrist, uh, loud misandrist group in the U.S. That is comes quite a bit out of the academic world. Misandrist means you know man hating, Mm -hmm. um, and it's sort of the mirror image of misogynist, which means woman hating. Uh, Misandrist is man hating, and these folks have a lot of power, a lot of control, and um, uh, in terms of media in terms of government, and they push these ideas through, and these wonderful movements get taken over by this stuff. And so now, you know, here is someone like me who who just has to say, now hold on, now wait a minute, um, uh, let's look at what happened with the campus rape thing. And for people may, may or may not remember, about six, seven years ago, a dear colleague letter came out from the administration under Title IX, telling campuses that one in five um, young women at, at college campuses was getting um, sexually assaulted. And so they had to do A, B, and C. And so what, what they had to do is they had to, if a woman accused a guy, they had to kick the guy out and uh, there wasn't due process and, and number of the accusations were false. And most of them really, no, most of them, no one was malicious. They, most of them were, people got drunk. I mean, unfortunately 80 to 90% of what goes on with these cases in college campuses involves inebriation. And, um, uh, a mess. It was a mess. It was awkward. It was bad. Um, but it got set up so that all these guys got kicked out. Now, I think 220 of them have sued and won because it turns out, well, no, they didn't sexually assault someone. And, um, and this is, this is my fear with the Me Too. Um, uh, people are, are, um, Well, to to just say one last thing, to your point, what drives that campus rape culture concept, what drives it is the basic misandrist concept that masculinity is inherently defective. So we're always looking for the way in which masculinity, which is so defective, has destroyed females. Um, And with Me Too, as you've noted, it's happening again. This really good thing is being taken over by folks who are saying things like, well, um, if you, if you hug me and your hand touches, you, you know, inadvertently touches my back or whatever, uh, that is, uh, assault and I'm going to make sure you get fired, you know? And, and so that's just used being used for revenge and all sorts of things. There's no, you know, assault in that, or you and I are in a bar. I'm a woman. You and I are in a bar. You lean over and kiss me. I don't really want you to kiss me. That's assault. Um, uh, you know, whereas most Most sex is kind of awkward and most of the time um, uh, men and women are are awkward. They're not really trying to assault. They're awkward. And um, uh, so I do think that the Me Too is now getting taken over to some extent by this uh, man hating strain. And the great thing about our Helping Boys Thrives is we just don't get, get involved in it. You know, we don't we don't waste our time arguing with those people. And we don't uh, waste our time arguing for those people. We do a grassroots event that helps people raise and educate their boys to stay out of those politics.
0: So what we're going to do here in the next few podcasts is go a little deeper um, I wrote uh, my book, uh, Raising Sons in a Hashtag Me world, um, World, both to affirm our daughters and and to give a vision to our sons uh, to help them live up and to be good men in their relationships with, with girls, with women. Uh, and we're going to tease out some of that in a couple weeks. We'll talk about how important it is to give our boys a vision for their lives through a rite of passage, and the same for our daughters. Uh, next week, we are going to look at our girls a little bit, and we'll talk about... Um, you know, what What does the Me Too world look like for them when it comes to dating? Uh, what I'm hearing from parents... Is uh, our kids are are kind of skeptical now of dating? They're a little bit afraid. Parents are worried for their sons, what their sons might be accused of, and and now parents of daughters are scared that all boys uh, just want to you know be predators and and uh, hurt their daughters. So uh, there's a different way to get through that, and that's what we want to talk about these next few weeks. So if you haven't picked up a copy of my book, it's an ebook, uh, "Raising Sons in a hashtag #MeToo World," and we'll talk more about it again next week. But Michael, you've got this new thing that I'm really jazzed about. I know our listeners are going to be jazzed about as well. Uh, and uh, tell us a little bit about this new online course.
1: Okay. Yeah. And in fact, today we have, I have sort of two assets. Uh, we have three, including your book, which by the way, I want to put a plug in for your book. Uh, anyone who's listening to this, get that book. It's, uh, I, I've read it. It's really good. And Tim has a way of packing into 25 pages, an incredible amount. So plug for that book. Thank you. Um, yeah. And then, um, and then, of course, one asset we have to talk about today is Helping Boys Thrive. So I hope people will go to HelpingBoysThrive.org, check it out, look at it, and and hopefully uh, you know make contact with us and our teams and so that we can come to your communities, HelpingBoysThrive.org. And then the the Parenting Online course, so that is six hours of video content, of course, divided into pieces, and then um, other materials, and then uh, part of the package, it's a, it's a package that you purchase. Part of it is, um, is uh, uh, phone calls, phone conferences and with Q&A with me for those people who have taken the course. And so we, we will get to have direct contact that way and I can answer questions and problem solve um, people who have taken the course. So it's a, it's a great value and it's packed with six hours of content on bo- raising both boys and girls uh, and if, if people have you know just boys, they may say, well, come on, I don't want to hear about girls. But no, I've set it up so that if you have only boys or only girls, it doesn't matter because so much of the content is good good child raising for all age groups of kids. And then there's parts that boy, girl, and even those parts are comparing male and female. So there's really no place where a person will feel out of it. Um, uh, it's good for everyone. And you can go learn more about that at gurianinstitute.com. Uh, G-U-R-I-A-N, Institute.com and you just click the products page and you'll see it.
0: And we'll list all of these different links for you on our Facebook page, if you just search uh, in Facebook for Wonder of Parenting and then join the group, we'll make sure you get all those different links, a lot of different things going on there. And of course, I want to remind you of our contest. Uh, just write a nice review, um, or even a critical one if you want, and uh, take a screenshot sure. of that. <laughs> and, uh, and then post it on our, our uh, Wonder of Parenting uh, Facebook group. And then uh, in a few weeks, we'll pick a name and one of you will get a chance to win one of Michael's books. Michael, thank you. This is good stuff. Looking forward to continuing talking about uh, how to raise our sons and daughters in this very different world. Thank you mm-hmm. so much.
1: Thank you, Tim.